Welcome to Behind the Stethoscope. The podcast is a chance for our local physicians at Royal Columbian Hospital, Eagle Ridge Hospital, and all the community doctors in between to connect. Each show will give us an opportunity to get to know someone from the community beyond their day jobs. Our doctors come from a varied background, specialties, experience, and are here to share with us who they are behind the stethoscope. So today I have a a group of physicians from Royal Columbian Hospital, Dr. Robert Kiskin, Rob Kiskin, Dr. Van Tonegren, Lindsay, and Dr. Gerald DeRosa. Um, And today we are going to hopefully dive right into parenting as physicians. And, uh, you know, as we think about this, or as I thought about it, I thought maybe we should almost have like a a reference card to say that we're not experts. I don't know how many of us have read books here about parenting. Irrespective, uh, hopefully we'll get some unique pearls from all of us about our experiences as parents thus far. So I kind of just want to start by... I'm actually going to say I'm the opposite of an expert, just to, uh, you know, make that clear. So, um, yeah, and I, I thought that would be a good segue to talk about who we have in terms of our families, in terms of the kids, and maybe just a sense of how old they are and, you know, give us a better sense of what we're dealing with through our discussions today. So I'll start with maybe Rob, if that's okay. Sure. So I have a beautiful baby daughter born in August of uh, 2018. So she's about six, 16 months now. Things are, things are going well so far. I'd also like to give a quick shout out to any uh, Bills fans or uh, Bills players who may be listening today. Uh, congratulations on the recent uh, playoff berth, and uh, let's keep rolling. Lindsay? Yeah, so I've got two kids, a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son. How about you, Gerald? So I have four children, um, a bit of a bimodal distribution. So I have a 17-year-old, almost 18, 14-year-old, and then we also have twin four-year-old daughters, so all girls, actually. So I'm a man on an island with lots of estrogen. So, <laughs> so Rob, I was going to say something about the Bills, but I can't say anything because I'm a Hawks fan, so we'll see you in the finals, maybe? I'm not Absolutely. sure. <laughs> but I have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, both boys, certainly keep us busy. But uh, maybe to start, if that's okay, I wanted to start at the beginning, which is when the kids were born. And for Gerald and I, it feels like a little while ago, but certainly for Lindsay and Rob here, probably remember it like yesterday. Um, so I'm kind of curious about each of your experiences having gone through that fairly recently. Yeah, I remember it well. So I was pregnant with my daughter studying for the Royal College exam. So you can imagine how that was. First trimester trying to study. So either nauseous or completely drowsy from the antiemetics that were prescribed in pregnancy and went into second trimester just as I was flying to Ottawa to write my exam. So pregnancy was challenging just for that reason alone. I had her in my second to last year of residency just towards the end and took nine months off total, which was actually really a nice break for me and probably the first break I'd had from studying for a long, long time. But of course, at that point, the next Royal College was coming up. So the latter half of my mat leave was spent studying for Royal College number two. And my son uh, was born in my first year of practice. So both born sort of in pretty big times of life with lots going on. Very, very busy. How much time do you take off with uh, your second? Seven months. My husband took leave with both kids, actually. So he had two, three months off with each of them, which was nice. It rounded off the the leave for a bit longer. Can you comment on like, you know, oftentimes when I sit down with new staff people or residents, right, before they have the child, they kind of say, oh, I think I'm going to take this many months off, right? And, you know, there's pros and cons and there's pressures both ways, I think. So how did you decide and like, did you feel a lot of pressure to come back earlier? Or, you know, once you decided, did you feel like it wasn't long enough and you want to take longer? Yeah, I think with my daughter, uh, it didn't feel long enough being a first time parent. 
And I did extend my leave. I was planning to take six months and it took quite a bit longer than that. We didn't have a nanny for either of my kids. So they were going straight to daycare. And that was a factor for me, seeing how little kids are at even 10 months. So Mm -hmm. the goal was to get them to at least 10 months before they started daycare. A lot of daycares won't take kids until they're one year. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it was important to get pretty close to that mark. So between myself and my husband, we figured we could swing at least 10, 11 months. During practice is obviously more challenging, although for me, thankfully, I wasn't very well established when I had my son, so I didn't have a big wait list. I didn't have a huge outpatient practice, um, so I probably could have taken more time. I had locums like Rob beside me, um, so the call was covered. So from that perspective, not a huge urgency, um, but I took a little less time because I was second time parent and I knew my husband was going to be there as well. But yeah, it's it's always challenging. There's never a good time and... There's never a right or there isn't a right answer for every, I think everyone's different, mm-hmm. but certainly six months feels like a short period of time. I know in the U.S. they get even less, but, you know, ideally we wouldn't be pressured to come back to work. We'd come back when we were ready. But I think that's not a reality for a lot of doctors, unfortunately. Yeah, because I think the new laws are going to go 18, 18 months, months now, someone was wow. telling me. Yeah. 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 Back in the day when I, mine was one day was what the resident was allowed. Yeah. And you had to be back the next day was uh, for paternal leave. Maternal leave, uh, maternity leave was longer, but paternity leave was one day. Um, They were nice enough to give me a week. But I do um, tell people, you know, one of the things that you said resonated with me in that people often say, when is the right time to have kids? And my answer is always, there is no right time. It is never going to be perfect, right? Like you just kind of have to do it and just accept that it's going to change your life and you're gonna have to adjust. And I, I generally do tell people anticipate a longer time off, and then you can always come back a bit sooner. But like, I don't think most people I've talked to have taken more time, like you've said, they've kind of said six months, and then they phone me or, you know, tell their group like, Oh, actually, I'd like a few more months. And I've never really heard anyone regret having that extra time, you know, because it is a precious time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that uh, people should really think about that. Yeah, I was fortunate, I, I had a very very supportive program director, both in internal medicine and as a respirology fellow. So I never felt pressure to come back from that perspective, which I think is probably unique. I think there's a lot of programs where there really is pressure to come back and cover call. And I never felt that, you know, there was, I had to make a big decision about whether to write my second exam while fresh coming back from Matley with my daughter. That was a fairly big decision. And actually, my husband was the one who encouraged me to write. Um, We all wanted to move on with our lives at that point. And he said, you know, worst case scenario, you fail and you redo it. Um, So, you know, why don't you try and see how it goes? And that way, if it's successful, we'll be able to move on and you can actually get a job. And you know, that at the time was a pretty big decision to make, but obviously the right one in the end for me. For the learners that are listening, when you reflect back with those situations, is there any other thoughts that you could share to someone who's thinking about the same process that you've been through? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think at the end of the day, you have to do what feels right. And I think, especially with my my daughter, um, I really strongly felt that at six months, I definitely was not ready to come back to work. And there was something very uh, at the core of me that knew that wasn't the right time. Um, And so I think you just have to listen to, you know, your your feelings and, and obviously in discussion with your partner. And, and do what's right for your family at the time. I don't think you'll ever regret that mm-hmm. because work is always going to be there and work is endless. So, and the times that you have with your kids, especially when they're small, they, mm-hmm. it goes by really fast. And so I, I think you're right. I think you never regret taking more time as long as it's you know done in a reasonable, respectful way to your colleagues, obviously. Yeah. I mean, they say oftentimes residency or fellowship is a good time to 
take time, the time off, right? Because you do have maternity payment. And um, when you take the time off, it's not like you have a practice mm. to cover. You know, I know Rob is in a situation probably unlike any of us, right? Because we were both residents. Or I, actually, I was in practice the second time. But uh, Rob can probably comment uh, him and Caroline did do it with the full practice. And that has other implications, right, Rob? So, yeah. Rob, how far in were you into practice when... Yeah, so I was about uh, four years uh, back and and practicing from uh, from fellowship, and um, yeah, it is a bit of a, a bit of a different situation because uh, for those who don't know, my my wife is also a specialist physician, so the two of us uh, both both took extended leaves as a result of the of the birth of our daughter. There, she decided to take the first six months and I I took the second six months and that was kind of predetermined. We kind of discussed it beforehand and uh, similar to what Lindsay was saying about about daycare situation. We didn't really want her to be in in daycare from a very young age. We wanted to at least uh, at least have her to be with us for um, for the first year. And so we wanted to split things up and we thought that the most reasonable way to do it would be six months and six months, uh, and even split. Going into things, I have to admit that I was a little bit—I uh, was a little bit scared <laughs> of what was going to happen because uh, Caroline was uh, so great with um, with her for the for the first six months. To be honest, you know, you're working so hard that uh, you don't get to spend a lot of a lot of time with her that you want to over the first six months, and then it becomes. You know, do I know enough about her to to be able to kind of care for her fully and meet all of her needs? Uh, because it's a completely different switch from busy clinical practice to just all of a sudden taking care of a six month old when you don't know the daily routine, you don't know anything else, and so um, so it was a major shift and very scary at first. Thankfully, the adjustment was uh, was pretty quick, and I uh, yeah, similar to. The rest of you, I have zero regrets about about taking the time. It's a yeah, it's a time that I'll always remember. Uh, you know, it's it's what I call deathbed time. It's the kind of period that you that you remember when you're on your deathbed. There, all memories that that I'll you know for sure never forget. Yeah, it's a pretty important time of all of our lives, and, and being part of that is is pretty special, certainly. And I'm I'm kind of curious, Rob, when you were transitioning from your practice into taking care of your daughter. Uh, you said it took a bit of adjustment, but not that long. But what sort of things did you notice changed in you compared to when you were a practicing physician, one? And then two, how did you come back to becoming a physician when you came back to practice? And how did that change again? I think that um, the first thing I noticed is that the, the the stress is just different because the stress of seeing patients, the stress of kind of busy clinical practice, you can you can deal with that by by kind of offloading work by um, by just staying late doing some overtime dictating after hours but there's there's really no escaping the kind of stress that it was to take care of take care of her and not really know fully what you're what you're doing to have to try and get her get her to eat solids for the first time which was happening around around the six month mark when when I took over and so I think um, I think that I became uh, a lot more confident as a, as a father as a result of the time that I spent with her there I'm not really sure how how it happened or I'm not really sure that I can provide advice for for how best to do it other than the fact that you just need to you need to start somewhere and recognize that things are going to be okay as long as you're as long as you're being safe you get to you get to know you get to know them pretty quick and you get to know their their patterns and I think it's a lot about pattern recognition so so that transition wasn't too bad 
and then coming back to practice afterwards, it's obviously going to be a, a challenge no matter what, because you have you have certain things that are waiting for you when you get back, certain things that stockpile, and uh, there's there's no way around that. You just have to kind of put in the time, and it's a bit of a grind, and it's uh, it's a little bit mind numbing at first, but uh, it it's a relatively quick transition, and you get back on your feet within a week or two, and then it's just like you never left. Goes by fast. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I was going to ask you which one is easier, but I, I already know the answer to that. I think work <laughs> is easier, no? Yeah. 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 I, I, I would say so. You know, there were, there were a few times in there where, where I kind of hit my stride and, uh, you know, I was able to have, you know, dinner ready on the table when I got home. Yeah. I, ha- I had a lot of doubters out there that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that didn't believe that I could, I could do it. But I, uh, I like the had guys the you play basketball fed. with and stuff or. <laughs> <laughs> No, more more so other other moms who would <laughs> who would tell me like you know about how hard it is, and it definitely was hard. But uh, but yeah, I was able to have you know dinner ready on the table when Caroline got home, get the baby started on solids, and uh, uh, and have her fed and and rested, and still do some activities along the way as well with her. Um, take her to her swimming classes. Uh, go to baby spinning class, which is not a, not an actual baby spinning on a mat, but is actually me on a spinning cycle. Um, but she enjoys it too. She gets to see some friends and roll around. So so it was fun for everyone. So new tools in the tool back box. Are you doing any of those still or the activities? Yeah. Uh, well, we still we still take her to swimming. Um, Caroline's taking her to swimming more now, but. Uh, we still, yeah, we still, we still try to do activities with her and get her out from time to time. I'm kind of curious on the, you know, the comment around activities, young family, both of you, Gerald, you as well, big family and young family. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you kind of balance the activities that your kids, you want them to be involved in with busy practices, being physicians, being part of, you know, admin work in as physicians and learners education, these all take time. So how do you find that balance? What do you do to make it work? Oh, well. I'm in a slightly different situation. You know, uh, my wife uh, is a speech language pathologist, but um, she's not practicing uh, any longer. And so I do have the luxury of having someone at home who can do uh, a lot of stuff during the day. So I would say the twin activities are generally done by my wife. Now, when it gets after hours, though, it does become a bit of a challenge because now you have your teenagers in high school who are playing sports or doing drama or volunteering. And then we are basically, I think a lot of parents who have teenagers will tell you this or who have kids doing activities is you feel like you're a chauffeur Mm -hmm. and you are essentially going from A to B, dropping one off, picking the next one up. And so with four kids, you know, and then the, the little ones have to go to bed, someone has to watch them. So we literally sit down on Sunday night and we plan out Monday to Friday Mm -hmm. and we are just you know, Corey, and sometimes it's really tight timelines, right? It's like, so you get back at 5.30 and then I'll drop that one back at 6. You go pick her up from there. You bring her back to her basketball practice. And and it's a lot. It's, it's very challenging. Yeah. But you learn how to, I think, just integrate it into your life, right? Like you want your kids to participate. You want them to be active. You want them to get the best out of life, right? And nowadays, even, you know, when you're looking at, things like them going on to university and things like that. It's no longer just a mark-based system. They actually have to develop what's called a personal profile. So it's kind of like when we 
were getting into medical school. You had to have all these different things that you do. And now they're looking for high school kids to do that, to just get into university. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, then trying to integrate all the different activities they're doing becomes, you know, quite a, quite a challenging thing. I think that what I've learned is that the more control you have over your schedule, you just have to be very proactive about your schedule, right? And block off the times and plan ahead. I tend to harass whoever I need to harass, whether it be my own children or the person organizing the activities or the coach and mm-hmm. try and push them to give me a schedule way in advance. Because I think that's what people sometimes don't understand dealing with physicians or other professionals is that we our patients are booked six months in advance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when they suddenly drop a whole ton of things that you have to do, you are suddenly scrambling. And I also have to really give credit to my MOAs because they really know that this happens and they change patients all the time for me. Um, and they do it uh, most of the time with a smile. You know, they're fantastic. And you ha- you just have to have everyone on the same page, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you thank them and you reward them. And you explain why you had to do that. And even the patient, sometimes you move them, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm upfront with them and honest, right? If I say I moved you, you know, and they say, oh, well, I had a booking here and now you moved me again. I just say, well, I had something come up with my family. I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to move your appointment, you know, and I try and do that upfront so that they understand. I think most of the patients really understand that we have lives, right? Mm-hmm. And we're trying to do the best for, and I think the more you connect with your patients, they, they don't really seem to mind. I've rarely had a patient who said to me, you know, gotten really mad about something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, they, you know, when you said that, it reminds me of that old adage, it takes a village to raise a kid. And I think, as you point out, as you have more kids or, you know, in, you want to be active participants in your kids' lives, it it really does start to manifest the importance of having people around you that share the same ideals and virtues as you. You could get other people to drive your kids. But, you know, one of the things I've always said is when the kids get to a certain age, they don't really want to hang out with their parents all that much. Right. But that time, like, for example, when it's a basketball tournament and I drive my daughter out to Langley or something like that, right, we're in the car together. And it is actually a time where you're there and you can chat. And I do find it's a nice time to kind of connect. I ask them about school, their friends and stuff, and they seem to be more open to, I mean, they're stuck with you for like, you know, 45 minute hour car ride, right? Like, whereas at home, like if you tried to sit down for an hour and say, oh, let's have a chat, they'd probably like roll their eyes and say, oh my God, I'm not sitting with my dad, right? So mm-hmm. um, so you, you do have to look at it as an opportunity. All these things I think are an opportunity, especially for me during the day, I'm not able to spend as much time with them and stuff. So I really do actually enjoy driving them around to these things as long as I can coordinate it because I just feel like then it's my time to talk to them. You know, I think they appreciate that their dad is kind of putting in the time to do that. And so I think it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. You know, we have kids at different stages of learning and, and education just amongst us all here. So I'm kind of curious your experiences. Maybe you're getting into that experience with your young one. And, you know, Lindsay, you have a couple in different grades and Gerald is same as you. I'm kind of curious how being, again, a physician with our busy schedules and responsibilities, how you balance that with being part of their their school and their curricular activities. I mean, I think for me, in some ways, it's easier because as physicians, you actually have some control, right? So as long as you work within the, the call schedule that you have and with your colleagues, I feel like we actually have more flexibility. So Gerald, your ability to move a patient last minute, there's very few people who have kind of other jobs who would actually be able to do that. And so I think for me, um, I found that I'm actually able to be there almost as much as I like, with the exception of some things like last minute field trips where, you know, 
oh, can you come on Wednesday to a field trip and I have an entire office day booked? And at that point, I think that's not really realistic. But if you have a bit of notice, you're usually able to schedule around assemblies and concerts and things like that. Whereas um, you know, not, not every job offers that flexibility. Mm. So I think it's doable. But again, it takes some planning and it takes making that part of your life a priority. But I look at my, my kids were both in daycare. They're in school now. And I look at the number of hours they spent in daycare. They were We had to pay for a full-time spot. Sometimes I do work five days a week, often not. Uh, but they probably spent less time there than any of the other kids who had full-time spots over the course of the time that they were enrolled. So to me, that means that, yes, you know, we are busy, but at the same time, I'm not as busy as, as some people. And I do have time off and days off where I'm with them that, you know, for many Monday to Friday workers, they wouldn't have had those opportunities. Lots of ski days where, you know, when my daughter was young, I'd take her out of kindergarten and the three of us would go to the mountain on a Wednesday because that would be my day off from the clinic. Whereas, you know, other, you know, in other careers, you wouldn't have that opportunity. So for me, it's worked out well. It's a good point. So I was just going to say the prioritization of what's important yeah. for you and your kids and, you know, the scheduling of it is very important. Sorry, Rob, you were going to say something? Uh, no, I was I was just busy taking notes over yeah. here, <laughs> getting getting ready for <laughs> when I have to plan everything this far in advance. I think you prioritize. Uh, the thing is, I, I'm sure Lindsay will say, and you'll probably say the same thing, you do push the work to a different time then, right? Because if you take that time during the day and there's like labs to check or things to do or emails to answer, then you are pushing it to a time when the kids are asleep. I mean, that's generally what I find I'm doing a lot of the time is you kind of do your work during the day, but if you take some extra time off, you value that time, you spend that time, but you've got to pay the piper at some point, right? And I think some people don't understand that, right? Is they think that there's a fixed number of hours and there really isn't. Mm -hmm. So every time you prioritize that, um, because, you know, medicine's a tricky thing, right? And we t I tell this to the students and the residents all the time, is that the patients, like you can't under-prioritize the patient, right? You can't not check the lab. You can't not give them a call back if they're having a problem. You know, when you're on call, you've got to come and see the cases, right? So as much as you want to put your family ahead, you can, but then you have to roll back and get that job done. So for example, when sometimes my kids have last minute tournaments on the weekends, I will sometimes, and I'm on call, you know, I will sometimes come in at 6.30 in the morning. You know, my wife might drop them off here. I'll drive her the game watch the game, you know, she'll maybe have a second game, so she'll stay with the team. I'll come back around again, you know, drive out for the second game, bring her back, either drop her home or my wife might come take her home, and then I'll come back to work. So I've made my day that normally would be maybe 9 to 4. I've turned that into 9 to 8, right? Because mm -hmm. you've got to come back and do that work. Now, you know, that's fine. I, You know, I'm not complaining because I made that choice, right? And I kind of, you have to kind of make a choice you know, I think overtly, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't make that commitment, um, then you're always going to feel like you're pulled in a couple of different directions, right? So my commitment was like, I'm not missing a game. So I'm going to do whatever I can to not miss that game. And if I have to stay late some nights, if I have to do the work at 10 o'clock PM, check my EMR, I'm going to do it, right? But I've made that decision. And I like, I think it's different because you've mentally made that shift, right? And you've mentally prioritized that. Um, and it might be something different for every parent right mm -hmm. like i'm gonna come home to have dinner you tuck know the kids in. And, and tuck the kids in and read them a bedtime story every night right 
or as many nights as I can. I mean, every night may not be completely practical, but like as many nights as I can. And then everything moves around that, right? So you just have to sit down and like, I think you just, you have to be goal directive, you know, as much as it sounds weird to be goal directive about parenting. And, you know, you have to be goal directive because we have so many other things pulling at us that we, that you have to kind of ladder them and then, you know, be at peace with your decision. Yeah. It's great advice. And also kind of made me reflect on, not only putting it all into perspective for yourself, but how do you find the balance for yourself as well? As you said, these are new normals for you. You're you're taking on these responsibilities. You want to be a good parent, good physician. Where do you find the time for yourself? How do you make the time for yourself amongst all this? It's a it's a great point, and I think um, I think it comes back to what Gerald says: just being trying to be as organized uh, in advance as possible. And I, I personally try to have some, some set times every week that are kind of protective time, for lack of a better term. Now, sometimes when I'm on service, that, that means doing additional work other days. Um, you know, if I'm going to be on service and we have a lot of pulmonary function tests to read, I'm going to have to, you know, like, like Gerald said, the work has to be done at some point. These have to be read. Um, so they're either going to be read early the next morning, uh, they're going to be read later in the day another day, but, but it's going to be done. We have protected time on, on Wednesdays for our, our basketball, and I try, to, I try to make that every week. It helps me stay in shape. It helps clear my mind. Uh, that's, that's one of the activities that I kind of view as protected time for myself. And so uh, that, I, I make a priority of that happening every week, if at all possible, if, if I'm in town and... Um, and things aren't completely disastrous. I uh, I make that every week, and that's one of the things that's just kind of you just have to view as protected and just shift other other priorities elsewhere. Yeah, it's challenging. I think uh, I don't have a good answer for that. I think it's a work in progress for us always. I think um, you know, being a busy clinician, a lot of I think my husband would say the same thing. You feel like every spare moment you have, you need to spend with your children. Um, and not because you have to, but actually because you want to as well. So it is important to find time to do things for yourself, especially, I think, physical activity. And so for me, part of that is integrating the kids into that. So, okay, let's all, you know, you guys ride your bikes to the park. I run with a dog. Let's go together. Um, you know, I don't know that I have a lot of time for me, to be honest with you, but my kids are five and seven. So I don't know. There's a lot of parents with small children who have a lot of personal time, right. but we have some. Between the hours of nine and eleven, lucky. <laughs> so that's a work in progress. So yeah, I can't say I have a, a brilliant answer, but I also I would say we like Gerald prioritize our, our kids um, above and beyond everything else almost all the time, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. It's just the reality right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think there's a degree of difficulty with being a mother and a physician as well. It just does seem to be to me to be a little bit different, right? Because like as much as like mom is always mom right when there's you know when things go to hell and yeah, missing kid, bedtimes is tough yeah, yeah yeah so often my kids don't sleep until i get home yeah and they're five and seven so even now if i miss bedtime it's a big thing in our house um so that for me is a priority like you said so mm. sometimes when i'm on a call for eagle ridge the consults are not you know there's not that many of them so i stackpile them until thursdays and i put my kids to bed and then go to the hospital at 8 30 and there till 10 30 11 because mm-hmm. it works better for my family if i do the dinner tuck in and then go rather than going out after dinner to see a few patients so yeah you, you mm. have to juggle it but mm. it takes an effort it does take an effort yeah, so for all of us for different reasons i don't want to switch gears it's a similar topic of course with parenting but it's 
to me, it's the elephant in the room. We have, again, kids at different stages. How are you guys uh, mindfully trying to make sure that the technology that they're using is not overused or underused? And I'm curious from Rob and Lindsay, uh, because Gerald and I have kids that are similar ages, but what is it like now in this generation of kids with technology? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll start because I mean, I don't have much to say on the topic. We there's, I think there's pretty pretty good recommendations to try and minimize screen time as much as as possible, and you know, basically no screen time for the first eighteen months. So we've been trying to abide by that where possible. That is a challenge for me. For those who don't know, I'm uh, quite a sports fan, you know, and and the uh, the Montreal Canadiens games and all these games take place during wakeful hours, even by baby standards. So. Uh, there's a lot of uh, tape delay. There's a lot of recording of games, but uh, f- I mean, for the most, the, the TV stays off 100% when when she's around. We uh, we really try not to be on our phones around her because even as a baby, I, I feel like she really picks up on that. Mm. She she kind of notices you paying attention to something else when she's mm. right in front of you and. Uh, maybe that's just a feeling I get, but we we really try to to have kind of a zero screen time policy around her wherever possible, and uh, you know, and beyond that, we haven't really thought that far ahead. I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I I agree with you, Rob. They notice, yeah, they notice if you're not all in on them, and they notice if you're doing other stuff. Because now my like four year olds are like, "What are you doing? Yeah. What are you looking at?" <laughs> right. So, so my wife was pretty militant about no screen time, uh, with the exception of. Uh, lakers games i was allowed screen time and um sometimes on like the plane you know like like just very rare occasions where it was kind of a a huge reward or something like that or we really needed to keep them quiet or else we would have lost our sanity so Hmm. um but yeah it's uh what about the teenagers oh the teenagers is tough i mean they they I, i think the phone is actually you know connected to their physical being at this point in time so we do have rules though they do not uh but you have to make your own rules like i'll just give you an example with our first daughter we were trying to be very militant about social media right because we thought that that was the end all and be all and the bad influence on everyone's life so when she got into grade eight uh, we did get her phone to contact us because you know with our schedules too that's the other thing like once you've got kids in different schools and multiple kids like you need a phone because if you're late, like if I run into a traffic bump, I've got to phone her and tell her go to the library and sit in the library for half an hour, right? Because she's waiting. I don't want her waiting outside in the rain because she thinks I'm coming, you know, on time. So we got our phone, but we did not uh, let her have Instagram or Snapchat. Um, and uh, and we were one of the kind of parents who were holding out with another set of parents, right? And their parents said, well, if their dad lets them have Snapchat then I'll let you have Snapchat. And then, of course, I said the other thing. So we were basically holding them both at bay uh, with this secret deal. But um, the problem is, is that's how they actually communicate, mm-hmm. right? That's how they actually get together. That's how they actually, you know, go to the mall, like plan out their events. And so unfortunately for my oldest daughter, she kind of didn't get, uh, she missed a lot of things, especially in the summer um, because she was not on those chat groups. You know, kids had gone to the mall, they went to movies, they went to stuff like that. And when she came back in, in grade nine, she realized that she had missed out on a lot of things. And um, and I think, you know, we both, my wife and I both realized we kind of made a mistake, right? Is like, you know, that is now how they, they don't text, right? They they And now Snapchat's out apparently. So now they don't even use Snapchat, even though we were so scared about Snapchat. They're like, Snapchat is passe, right? Mm-hmm. So I think if we did it again and now with our 
uh, our second one who's in grade nine, we kind of let her have it, right? But I think it's it's just saying this is part of their lot. This is part of their reality, right? Uh, social media. It is going to be part of their reality for the rest of their lives. Um, even the schools now, there's no textbooks anymore mm-hmm. when you get to high school. It is all done through Google Classroom. So you actually have to have a device anyways. So so that's the reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the school will give you a device, but they say it's better you have a device because then you have this crappy device that doesn't work. So um, so everyone has a device by that mm-hmm. point in time. You know, I think the key is setting the limits. Like, you know, when they're on their phone, we have a separate device that does not have social media stuff like that on it to do their schoolwork and day-to-day stuff. They do have their phone, but their phone time we try and limit as best as possible. Mm-hmm. We usually, we don't let them take their phone up to their bedroom at night. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one of the rules that does not go up to the bedroom, right? Because then I feel like they're just potentially, you know, I mean, I have good kids and uh, I don't know, but, you know, it's just there's that temptation to just keep on chatting with your friends and mm-hmm. till 1 o'clock in the morning and all that sort of stuff, right? So they can take their iPad because now there's no books. So if they want to read, you know, before they go to bed, they have to have something. So so we have an, a kind of stripped down iPad that they can use. Now, I'm sure there's tricks that you can go into the internet and Skype. You know, like I'm not so militant that I lock these things down because I think, A, they're smarter than us now at this stage with the technology. Like I'm sure whatever thing I put up, like they'll find a way to get around it. And so I think, Ultimately, they have to learn how to be responsible with this, right? So you're not going to help them by just sheltering them mm-hmm. from everything. But once again, not an expert, just my personal experience with, uh, but it's scary. It is it is really scary um, because you can also see things like bullying through social media, you know, people being included in a chat group and then not being included and getting kicked out, you know, like the, it's just so much more profound. I think the challenges that you face when you have things like social media in, in high school. Yeah, no, it's a reality as you po- as you pose, and it's part of their social network. Is it is social media? But yeah, I think you're. I agree with you. Uh, teaching them moderation and and those limits are really important. But not only in social media, but so much of parenting feels like that sometimes is teaching moderation and those safe limits to your kids. And again, sharing your virtues. And you know, when I when I think about my own kids, I, I similar to your age kids. The teenage years seem so formative. Um, and, you know, that really came to light when recently the kids or my older kid came to work for the day. And he had some great questions about the profession. And, I mean, I'm sure he was percolating these thoughts before. But now, you know, having seen it firsthand, he got a better sense of what I do. I'm actually a real doctor now from his eyes. And I don't know if that was so much the case before. But it's important, I think, then I realized after that to communicate what we do and why we do it. Because not only like what you guys were saying is um, making them understand that we're always present, but there are going to be times when we're not present. And if they understand why, because they have the capacity to understand this is our real life, this is what we do day to day, the relationship actually becomes a bit more um, convenient when you say to them, hey, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do this, that or the other. I'm kind of curious with your younger kids, have they kind of communicated what you're doing and how, you know, as a physician, what do they think you're doing? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. We've actually had these conversations because usually it's, mommy, why do you have to go to work? Why do you have to leave us, right? And mm. we've actually, even at the ages of, you know, three and four, had this discussion, well, when I go to work, this is what I'm doing. And when I go to work on a Saturday, it's because there's someone who needs my help. And so phrasing it like that, like, not that I want to leave you, but that there's someone out there who needs me more than you do right this second. And now they're actually quite good. And and they'll say things like, okay, mommy, you go to the hospital and help your patients. And then when you get home, we'll 
do this or we'll play cards or we'll go to the park. And they're much more accepting of that when they mm -hmm. understand that you're leaving them is not because you would rather be somewhere else. It's because someone else needs you a bit more than they do. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing even at a young age how they can comprehend that. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't uh, talk to my kids all that much about my job because they're little and I think mm -hmm. You know, always uh, for our kids, you are first and foremost their parent. The doctor thing is much further down the list of how they see you. But it is interesting what they pick up on. Um, my daughter made a, a comment to her kindergarten teacher about how, well, my mommy's smart. She's a doctor, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the first time she'd ever made some a comment of that, of that uh, nature. I thought, oh, you know, so, you know, where is she getting that from? Because mm -hmm. we hadn't had a lot of discussions about professions uh, and about mine in particular but somehow through you know what she picked up on this was her observation was that you know my mom must be reasonably intelligent because she's doing this job which I thought was interesting mm -hmm. and I don't know where she got it from because you know, like I said we haven't had most of our discussions have been you know well why are you not here with me and mm -hmm. okay well this is why and once they understand that are actually okay mm -hmm. I think once they understand that you're not you know, going to work because you just would rather be somewhere else. I think that's that's their impression initially. Yeah. Anyways, as well, you know, wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't you rather stay be with, with me? me. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a weekend. Why would you want to go to work? And it's not it's not that I want to. It's just that there's someone who needs my help. Mm. Oh, okay. You know, and they they kind of they understand that at a very young age. I think the guilt's pretty bad until they understand that, though. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember when um, when I was a resident, right? I was a third year resident with my first child. And then, of course, you roll into fellowship, which I was in a quite a busy nephrology fellowship. And then we had the Royal College exam in fourth year. So I was studying for the Royal College exam, I think, around when my oldest was a year and a half. And I would get home after a busy day at work, and I would be excited to see her. And, uh, I mean, my wife will tell you this. She would, I would open the door, and she would turn around and turn her back on me. Yeah. Ouch. And, 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 she, would, and she would ignore me. Um, because she was so angry that I was at work all the time. Um, and I would, I would have to say it was heartbreaking, actually. Mm -hmm. Like she would actually pretend I wasn't even talking to her. You know, um, she's a smart little bugger. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but like seriously. And like I think like and she always like when she was young, she was like, I never want to be a doctor. She would always say that to, to my wife. Right. Mm -hmm. I never want to be a doctor and stuff like that. But it's interesting, I think, when she understood like what was happening and why and um and you know when she got older she became more curious about what i was doing and like you guys said i try and reinforce like that it's a wonderful job i love my job i'm mm -hmm. helping people you know and even though i don't want to be i would love to spend every day with them we're doing important stuff here right but i do want to let people know in that beginning part of having your child when they don't understand that it is very hard and we all go through that right mm -hmm. that guilt between like geez i should you know this extra hour i'm here is one less hour i'm at home mm -hmm. with my child right and i mean i think we all still feel that way right mm -hmm. like when i'm in the office doing stuff i'm like maybe i should be playing a board game with my you know my 14 year old right maybe i'd be sitting down with my 17 year old and you know watching something or chatting something or maybe mm -hmm. i should read something with the twins but sometimes you get home and you're so bagged right like you you know especially if you were on call the night before you've got a lot of things going on and then, you know, so you eat and then you've got like an EMR to check up and stuff like that. So I, do, I, I want people to understand if they're listening to this podcast, like don't be so hard on yourself, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you cannot like do everything for everyone, right? And I think at some point it is important, like 
there are different pieces, right? You got to save a piece for yourself. Then you have a piece for your family. Then you have a piece for work. And um, sometimes it does often feel like there's not enough pieces mm-hmm. to go around. And I don't know if that ever changes until maybe your kids are out of the home or something like that. You know, like I still feel that way and I have older kids and mm-hmm. um, and I still feel like, geez, like some days I'm like, why did I spend all that time doing this? But I had to do all those things, right? Mm-hmm. So, but you, you kind of get more used to it. I think with the children becoming more mature and kind of understanding and like kind of appreciating when you put that time that you've like made that special time for them. But I do think when they're younger, um, it is it is very hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I would I would tell people, don't worry, it it gets better. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like. Oh yeah. Yeah. My daughter cried almost every day. I dropped her off at daycare for three years. Yeah. It was not easy, but again, now she's fine. I mean, she understands. Um, and I think you know when you when you're trying to prioritize life and family and your spouse, I think we in medicine see a lot of suffering and a lot of horrible things. So. Mm. You know, sometimes I reflect on those patients you have who you think, you know, they were dealt or have been dealt an unfair hand. And how do you take that and in- incorporate those uh, experiences into your own life? And mm-hmm. how do you live such that if something were to happen tomorrow, you wouldn't look back and regret the decisions you've made? Mm-hmm. I don't think you can live like you're going to die. But, you know, how do you how do you manage such that if something were to happen, you wouldn't have major regrets and look back and think, why did I work this much? Why did I prioritize these things in my life? And so, again, I don't have an answer for exactly how to do that other mm-hmm. than to be mindful of the fact that I think at some level you have to make sure that you're you're kind of living the best way that you can mm-hmm. to satisfy all these different mm-hmm. demands. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Kind of living in the moment, as we say. I think so. Being aware of what's around you in every moment. Yeah, yeah it's easy to get caught up in the small things, the day-to-day, mm-hmm. but kind of looking at the big picture and saying, okay, well, you know, are we as a family, you know, are things going the way we'd like them to? And if they're not, then how do we make things different and how do we balance out better? And mm-hmm. how do I take more time to exercise or, you know, play board games with my kids instead of giving them the iPad? And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know that, again, I, I don't have this 100% figured out other than to say it is a work in progress, right? So it's great observations. And I don't want to forget one real important part of the the puzzle pieces that uh, Gerald uses an analogy and I think is a good one is our significant others mm-hmm. yeah. and it certainly takes both individuals to make this work so I'm just kind of curious each of you maybe want to share what your perspectives are in your relationship if you're comfortable to do that today uh, and how that's made you know your parenting style um, more fruitful yeah I mean I've, I've learned a lot from my wife she, she's the one who should be sitting here talking during this podcast she's the, I mean, she's the engine that drives our house um she was before the baby was born <laughs> she and she still is now uh she's she's constantly on the go she's constantly thinking of of things that we can do better as a family and ways that we can kind of maximize our time together so uh if you're listening i love you <laughs> uh, no but uh but yeah so she i mean i i i lean on her very heavily even though she she has her own specialist practice and things are very very difficult for her as well um, we need to communicate openly we need to arrange our schedules pretty far in advance and and take advantage of of whatever opportunities we have to kind of spend time together yeah but it's 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 challenging yeah I, I think having a supportive partner is huge uh, my husband's not in medicine he's a trades worker so we come from totally different perspectives career-wise which for us has been 
great. And I can't imagine doing it without him, to be honest with you. Being a single parent would be incredibly difficult, especially as a physician. Um, but just knowing, you know, okay, this week I'm on call at RCH. I've got, this is the PFT week. We call it the PFT week because it means an hour of work for me after hours all the time, usually after the kids go to bed. Um, but, you know, you're going to be on pickup this whole week because I'm basically unavailable and to have that support to be able to do the things that you can't do when this job takes you away from your family. And it's not that it happens all the time, but it happens enough that if you don't have that person kind of backing you up, it would be incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's for, yeah, it's huge for me. And neither of you have net, uh, nannies, right? Nope. Or no. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. run off our feet, mm-hmm. daycare, after school care. She's, yeah. Which is Taxi a re- service. Yeah, which is a realistic, viable option for some mm-hmm. some yeah. families, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 both parents are you know have a job that is sometimes not yielding, you know, especially sometimes two physician families, you can see that, right? I mean, I think we know a lot of two physician couples who do have uh, nannies, and that makes some sense, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of like offloading some of the day to day activities. Um, so that the way I look at it is so that you can spend quality time as opposed to then spending all the time doing like, you know, the cooking, the cleaning, mm-hmm. the shopping, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, but it is, uh, yeah, it, you still on top of that need a partner that's supportive and coordinate all that. And I mean, I'm, I'm in a different situation. Like I said, I mean, my, my wife does not uh, work any longer. Um, so she is kind of the boss at home, you know, but I think it's even more than that. Right. I, I think that they have to understand your life and your schedule. Right. Mm-hmm. So my wife still does not know when I'm on call or not. She still does not understand what it means. If I tell her I'm on inpatients for the week, and she's like, oh, so are you working this week? I'm like, yeah, I'm on inpatients. I've been on inpatients 15 years. Like you work Saturday, Sunday, We Monday. have the same discussion. Yeah, Monday night, Friday night, right? <laughs> the Excel yeah. spreadsheet of our schedule. Yeah. What is this? Yeah, yeah. What does this mean? <laughs> so this is 15 years and she has not tried to understand my call schedule. And there's a reason behind that, right? Is because she knows that even even if it, you're not on call, right? You could have a patient that gets sick. You could have something that happens and you have to you have to look after that patient at that time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with my other admin roles, something could happen and I have to have an emergency meeting or something. And so she, she does try and A, kind of assume that, you know, she's got to be at the ready um, if something comes up. But B, I think also knowing that I have less time with the kids, she does take on a lot of the disciplinarian, you know, kind of rulemaking sort of stuff, which is less fun, mm-hmm. I acknowledge. Um, and so oftentimes when I come home, I get to be fun daddy, you know, and like read to them, play with them, do silly things. I try not to destroy all the hard work she's done in setting the rules and stuff, but I mm-hmm. am called the saboteur at home. <laughs> um, so uh, I try to kind of comply with the rules as best I can. But but yeah, no, I mean, I honestly, like, half of the jobs and you know uh, i could not do uh, Mm -hmm. without her and i would probably not do them that's that's the reality like sometimes when you take on things like whenever i've taken on extra work uh we've sat down and discussed whether we can do it Mm -hmm. not whether i can do it right Mm -hmm. it's it's can we do it Mm -hmm. uh you know as a family right and if the feeling is we can't then i'm certainly not going to take it on Mm. um and i think that's very important for people to realize thanks guys for sharing and i I think based on that i think i propose not only a bring a kid's work day we should have us bring a significant other to work (laughs) to take care of the kids (laughs) there's one more thing i was going to mention because i know it comes up with trainees or even younger staff right and you know like 
Rob, obviously, when you took off the six months, you took a significant financial hit, I would imagine, hmm. right? Because the BCMA paternal payments do not match your six months of clinical billings. That is correct. Uh, by any means. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I guarantee you, and I'm, I'm sure you say this already, five, 10 years from now, you know, you're not going to care, right? And, and the one thing that I tell, uh, one of the things that I did as a fellow was I, I did make a concerted effort not to do any locum shifts um, because I already knew I was going to be busy and stuff. And, you know, there's this pressure to do these locum shifts, to make this money, to, you know, put yourself ahead. But every time someone asks me who's a resident or fellow and they have a, new, a young child, I say, do not do the shifts. You will eventually get a job. You will eventually make the money. Running yourself ragged, or taking those times to do that is not worth it, in my opinion. Even if you don't have children, I would say. Or even, yeah, I mean, even if you don't, yeah, you do have to think about that because, you know, as we've all, as we're telling people, once you have the children, your degree of difficulty goes up, not down. So maybe that's the time where you, you know, have that extra me time, the things that you wanted to accomplish before you have children, right? The traveling, mm -hmm. the stuff like that. So um, I do caution people uh, to not look at just, you know, generating income, generating income is the sole drive to everything, right? Because I do not think in the short term or even the long term that that is the answer to wellness. Completely agree. And yeah, while, uh, you know, while while some people disagree with this, I, I mean, my my motto and my saying that I always tell Caroline is we, we you know, we work so hard to get to the point where we have we have a lot of different problems and we have a lot of different things to juggle in our lives, but we should not really be people who, um, who worry about, about money because the, the potential for income is, is there. Caroline was working while I was there and particularly for two physician, um, households, you know, there's, um, there's not, there's not a need to worry about that. There are plenty of other things to worry about. So we, we just try to make a point to put it out of our mind, accept that, money comes money goes the potential for income will will be there and absolutely that uh, that uh, was not even uh, a consideration for us in kind of deciding on our pat and mat leaves well i wanted to thank everyone for joining today i think it's kind of time to wrap up and i've learned a lot thank you for your comments your thoughts it's been a wonderful opportunity to discuss parenting and medicine uh, i'd also like to thank nikki bronick our show producer um, this podcast is made possible from our local facilities engagement via the Doctors of BC. And of course, uh, our listeners, we thank you as well. And we invite you to connect with us on Instagram and behind the stethoscope at yahoo.com. Um, please consider subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you enjoyed our show and want to see it continue, please consider a donation through the foundation. Um, that can be done through the RCH Foundation. And then again, thanks guys for listening. And until next time.